Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, January 14th, 2022, which is the day after Bell has begun its seven-day run in theaters. Jiki has kind of pulled off something short of a miracle here. That this Mamoru Hosada film is in a thousand, over a thousand theaters in North America, and even on IMAX screens. Now, Drew, you've talked about Bell a couple of times on the show at this point. You really enjoyed it. In fact, you've actually watched it a couple of times now, right? Yeah, and I got to actually speak with um, Mamoru-san mm-hmm. um, a few weeks ago, which was really exciting. Mm-hmm. It's for the. Um, we're doing a big animation issue of the rap magazine. Cool, so cool. I got to talk to him and he, it was, it was wonderful. How would you describe this one? I mean, I, we've tried on the show previously. I mean, beauty and the beast meets the internet. Only bells like a Kardashian size social influencer, except in real life. She's like a 17 year old high school girl who lives in a remote village with her dad. Right. Well, she, She's actually like a pop star. Ah. Like she is a social influencer, but she also does these amazing concerts where she kind of brings out all the characters from this. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a a metaverse if, if we're going to use that super obnoxious term. There we go. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you know, everybody comes and watches her sing, mm-hmm. and she's amazing. But obviously, in real life, she's very shy. Her mother died at a very young age mm-hmm. in a tragic accident. And she's just kind of awkwardly fumbling through life. And then this, there is a beast character that comes in that's known as the dragon. And so she's trying to figure out who he is in real life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just wonderful. And it has maybe my favorite p- piece of animation that I saw last year, which, Jim, when you see it, you will know it. Okay. I will say that. Okay. Yeah. So I've now got six days. So what should I do here? Should I go with the, because I have options. I can see the English subtitle version or I can see the English dub version. There's also a couple of places where I can potentially see this thing in IMAX around New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Do we have suggestions? Is the IMAX subtitled or is it dubbed? That Maybe that'll be I, the, the really deciding factor. Dad. Okay. I don't have an answer. All right. <laughs> I would say if the IMAX is subtitled, Go see the IMAX. Mm. I think that would be great. But they have a great cast uh, assembled for the English dub, including um, Hunter Schaefer from Euphoria, which is not a show I expect you to watch, Jim, or you might have I, I am aware. Season two just started, right? It just started, yeah. yeah. We, we saw them filming occasionally over in Burbank during the <laughs> pandemic, which was like a real thrill. You know, oh, when wow. you go, when you're on your way to Target, you see the Euphoria kids out and you think, maybe things are t- returning to normal. So, you know. <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> that, that was the barometer. <laughs> a, a Zendaya in the wild sighting. Holy cow. Yes, yes, oh, yes. wow. Oh, see, you know, it's not all Bob's big boy, folks. <laughs> Right. All right. Anyway, I'll check the listings and I'll get back to you about what my options are. But but uh, seriously, folks, six days left. Go see Bell. Okay. We got lots and lots of animation related news this week. But first, news portion of this week's fine tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Back to, to Bell for just a second, though. The, the Mamoru Hasaru film has been shortlisted for Best Animated Feature this year, right? Yes. Just last Sunday, we had 
The Golden Globes were presented, but... Sort of. Well, yeah, that's the thing. You know, it, it, if we're getting into metaphysical questions here, if a, tree, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? The award show equivalent of that really is, if it's, the award show was presented, but very few people actually get to see it because it's no longer being broadcast by a major media outlet, do the trophies there have any impact? at all on future voting as we, we go into the, well, you know? Well, the other thing was that, did you see how bungled the, like, tweets were? Oh, it was God. so bizarre. It was, like, the worst possible version of this. I, I really think if the Golden Globes are around mm-hmm. next year, it'll be a miracle. Because there's other things that are going to come out about this Golden Globes organization. No, no doubt. That, no uh, doubt. Yeah, I, I just don't think that it's going to. I don't think it's going to survive, but I just thought it was hilariously poorly executed, even for a bunch of people in a room at the Beverly Hilton. When you are celebrating the win for comedy or musical or comedy and the yes. talking about that, oh my God. that laugh riot, West Side Story, and it's like, yeah. really? really? There's nobody in charge of the internet, the, the Golden Globes organization that... There's not a theater queen in the building. Nobody who's actually, I mean, it's only been around since 59 is a Broadway yeah. show. And- I mean, and that was, that was only one of the bad tweets. Ooh. I mean, there were almost every tweet was poorly judged, <sighs> but what was weird was then you would see like, you saw Disney like flaunting the win yeah. on social media <laughs> with a little shareable that was designed mm-hmm. that had a West Side Story or Enca- was it Encanto that won mm-hmm. yep. uh, mm-hmm. or or Raya whatever which, whichever one won mm-hmm. and it was just like are you really giving these people more oxygen? The hard reality is award season is still award season and the metrics are all off this year. I mean, if you you look at what's won to date. Sony's Michels versus the Machine seems to have the edge, seems to have the momentum. Oh, uh, by the way, did, did you see where the, the art of the, the making of book is now free to view online? I did. I have a stack of those books because, <laughs> Jim, as you know, yeah. uh, they just send you a lot of things during award they season. Do. And they do. Um, you so, um, you I, know, I've been like pop, you know, handing those out on the street corner. Did you see the <laughs> Michels versus the Machine? But did you see the. Um, did you see that great Glad um, screening they did with Rebecca Sugar, the creator of Steven Universe, oh. that they posted excerpts of the other day? It was amazing. We can share this, uh, okay. you know, on Twitter, but it was just really, really powerful, mm-hmm. and it really made you think about Disney and Pixar having maybe the two gayest movies they've ever made, and just refusing to engage in this conversation in a meaningful way. It'll really make you it'll make you feel good about humanity for five seconds, but then also disappointed by everybody else for not. Just yesterday, Rotten Tomatoes announced its Golden Tomatoes Awards, and it had Raya and the Last Dragon as the best reviewed animated feature of the year, which confused me because I, I, I went over to Rotten Tomatoes to check, and Raya and the Last Dragon had a freshest rating of 94 and an audience rating of 97, whereas... Mitchell's versus the Machines had a precious rating of 97 and an audience rating of 88. So if Mitchell's has the higher freshness rating and, and freshness, correct me if I'm wrong, the freshness is based on things that really free will critics like yourself, a member of the Critics' Choice Association. It's based on actual reviews, right? 
Yeah, I mean, that might be like a weighted review because they have the top critics and maybe that is why Raya won. I don't know. I mean, let's be honest. The Golden Tomatoes Award is I not know, the most. I know, I know. But it's just, you know, it, you know, it's this weirdly cumulative thing. Right. For example, Encanto is having a huge week right now between, you know, what's going on with the music, which we'll talk about later in the show. But we just saw Sing 2 this past weekend claim bragging rights because it was the first animated feature released in 2021 that had actually broken through the $100 million blockbuster level. That Encanto, yes. again, because, close. you know, it was close. Yeah, $94 million, But that was largely because Christmas Day, you know, it's just little, hey, it's going to Disney+. Plus. And Sing 2, just this past Friday, started doing video on demand. And that was just after two and a half weeks in theaters. Yeah, did you see how much it was, too? It was $25 to rent. Hmm. I don't know how long that gives you, but good Lord, that's a lot. Although, you know, we were hearing numbers from when Trolls did it, Mm -hmm. and they were saying that they made, you know, $150 in the first weekend or something just on those rentals. So, you know, I think it is is impressive that Sing 2 did what it did, Mm -hmm. but you also have to look at what Sing 1's cumulative box office was in 2018, I want to say, which was, I believe, over $600 million. It made more than Incredibles 2 that year. Do we even live in that world anymore? I mean, you know, face it, you know, you and I were talking just last week about the turning red decision. If we're talking about the Netflix, the Disney's, the Comcast of the world, for them, the future's already here. The money they made, pure, unadulterated cash that poured in, over the opening weekend for Trolls World Tour and, and God knows what they made for Sing 2. But at the same time, what it was Variety this past week that reached out to folks at Pixar. And and, and again, the problem is the, the people that they quoted with, nobody went on the record. Yeah, and I think that actually that Variety piece was like a complete ripoff of an insider piece that my buddy Jason Guerrero did. Um, really? Yeah, but anyway, yeah, all those quotes were from his article. But Okay, well, let's... Then, yeah, then, but, go, but go ahead. Share the sentiment, I guess. I get religious about that. You want to make sure that people who actually got the quotes get the credit for getting the quotes. But yeah, we we have folks at Emeryville, up in Emeryville, who are, you know, who shared. And for example, there was the the one quote in the piece, it's safe to say that we're all feeling extremely disappointed. Until today, we thought Turning Red was going to be our return to the big screen, and everyone in the studio was so excited about it being this film in particular, so it was quite a blow. On the other hand, Jason, is, is that right? The, the gentleman wrote the other? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Jason got somebody else to chat and who said, not exactly a surprise, you know, with Omicron infection so high, I haven't heard anyone here say this decision to pivot to streaming is wrong. I mean, I get it, but it still sucks. This is just turning right. There is absolutely no conversation at this point about Pixar's light year going this route. That's still being positioned as a summer blockbuster. In fact, are, are you hearing the same things I'm hearing about the ad buy for the Super Bowl? Oh, I would be very surprised if it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, again, you got to remember that if not every animated feature gets its ad to premiere in the Super Bowl. I mean, the the, the Bob's Burger. Oh, well, let me, well, let me just say something before we get off of Turning Red. Yep. I have now seen a half hour of it. Ooh. And? And I am not allowed to talk about it yet. 
I'm sure we will go do a deep dive when I am allowed to talk about it in early February. Mm-hmm. But what I will say yep. is this movie will have no problem getting people excited, getting people talking, and we've seen what Encanto, how Encanto has totally taken over the landscape mm-hmm. since it began yep. on Disney Plus, and I feel like Turning Red will do the same, mm-hmm. and. I can't say anymore, but everyone should be very excited. Let, let me say that. Yeah. And, and let me say I'm incredibly jealous that you've seen a half hour of this. But but cool. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk we'll talk soon about it. Cool, cool. So, yeah. Okay. So circle back to the Bob's Burgers movie trailer, which <laughs> de- yes. debuted this past Monday during a broadcast on ESPN of the college football playoff national championship game. You know I was riveted to that, Jim. I was just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now, to be <laughs> fair here, nobody's talking about this going to streaming yet. And it's supposed to be released on, on May 27th, just three weeks after Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Bandas. You gotta love the people at Disney who are trying in a succinct way to sum up what this movie is about. Did you see this description? It's like an epic musical comedy mystery adventure that's based on the long-running Emmy Award-winning animated series, which really needs to be seen up on the big screen. Rolls right off the For top. two weeks until it's on Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's sort of why I don't I don't understand the kind of like extreme enthusiasm for theatrical to some degree, because you and I know how much longer these things exist on home video or streaming or whatever. And you and I, who are still coveting our physical media, are going to go out and buy the feature-rich Blu-ray when it comes out and all that. So, yeah. But, I mean, what did you what did you think of this trailer? I really wanted to work as a fan of the show. Did you get from the trailer at all that there's a sinkhole that opened up in front of the, the restaurant and that's what's driving the story that nobody can actually get into Bob's Burgers. So in order to keep, oh. keep see, this is what I mean. That's very, that's very uh, Simpsons movie. Yeah, I know. And the other thing that I think is so funny is that when a show becomes a movie, mm-hmm. if it's animated, you just add a lot of shadows. <laughs> that is like the way that you <laughs> distinguish the two. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> From one another. Which actually, you wow. know, uh, a, I came up with this observation. I was texting, you know, my fellow nerd friends. Jim, you're, right. not, you're not the only one that has to feel my the brunt of my observations. And then I saw our friend Tom Moore, mm-hmm. who directed Wolf Walkers and, yes. and contributed to... Mm-hmm. To Bell, actually, and he said, I always thought this was a bit silly. When you add shadows to every scene, it loses impact. If the style is 2D, it looks best with shadows only when needed or specific effects. Look at the old Disney movies, for example. He and I feel the same way, and I don't know how you feel, Jim, about well, these shadows. Well, I know. I, I love that Tom is on social media. My, for, for example, did you see him early this week? tweeting out about the ghost and Molly McGee and how it's like, who does this? Oh my God, have you seen this show? You know what? That's a perfect segue because you know who animated parts of Bob's Burgers movie Mm -hmm. is our friends at Mercury Filmworks, our favorite little animation studio Mm -hmm. that could, uh, that do Molly McGee too. And I think for my money, they do the most beautiful 2D style animation out there, right? I love what they do. So we talked a, a few minutes ago about Encanto and and how it's having a moment because as of today, we don't talk about Bruno is the number one song on Spotify in its top songs category. And in fact, 
surface pressure Louise's number from the film is just a few spots below that on, on the charts. And meanwhile, we, we, we drift over to Billboard Hot 100 for the week of January 15th. We don't talk about Bruno, so it's num- in the number five slot there, but it's expected that this Lin-Manuel Miranda song will uh, push its way to the top slot in the coming week. What do you think, Drew? Is this really on the back of what's going on on TikTok? All the people who are sort of imitating Dolores and uh, Camillo's dances or... Well, have you seen how the actual stars of Encanto are getting into this, too? No! Stephanie Beatrice did a great TikTok where she did side-by-side, kind of, and she did every character. Oh, no! And I should really point you to Jessica Darrow, Mm -hmm. who plays Louisa, her uh, YouTube. Mm -hmm. She did this amazing um, kind of jazz cover of of Surface Pressure that is totally (sighs) awesome. So I think it's really fun that everyone... All the all the actors are getting in, and they're all adorable, so that you know helps. Um, but it's really, it's it's been fun to see this. The I can't remember. I mean, I guess Let It Go, mm-hmm. obviously in 2013. But the thing with Let It Go, think about it. Even before this film opened, we 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 had Disney putting the actual videos of the choreography sessions that the animators looked at as they were prepping the numbers. And and now we have, it's like commentary on the commentary because we, we've got both the, the voice performers doing, as you just mentioned, likewise other folks who are doing you know their own TikTok versions of the dance and that sort of thing. And then just the other day, did you see the now this hidden Bruno thing that, that came up? Or? <laughs> no, oh. I did not see that. Okay, somebody actually walked me through this Zapruder film style. Okay, so it's the moment in, we don't talk about Bruno, Dolores' chunk of it. Mirabelle and Dolores are in the interior courtyard of the Encanto, but you can see behind them. You can see up to the second floor of the house and behind the railing, moving from left to right, is a figure with a cloak, but you have to be looking for it. And then later on in the same scene, camera moves in close between uh, Dolores and Mirabel, as one cousin is saying to the other, the grappling with prophecies they couldn't understand. Do you understand? If you look between Dolores and Mirabel up to the second floor of the Encanto at that moment, the figure that previously walked through is now standing there dancing in between the two cousins. And it's he's lit from behind with the Bruno glow. It's Bruno. Wow. This is giving me some big ghost kid vibes from uh, Dreaming <laughs> and a Baby. <laughs> I think this one's a little bit more le- legit than that one. But, uh, yeah, okay. But, but yeah, also, fun fact, in all of the Encanto posters for the theatrical release. If you look close, in the spirit of the hidden Mickey, there's always a hidden Bruno. Wow. So yet another reason to rewatch this movie, which I'm sure we haven't all done 10,000 times already during Christmas well, break. Well, Nancy was literally just talking about, and it's like, we gotta watch that again. Something else I feel like I, I need to rewatch because we've got Disenchanted, supposedly, showing up on Disney Plus in 2022, but the original, the the, the one directed by Kevin Lima from 2007, and it still makes me a little crazy that guy directs the Goofy movie, co-directs Tarzan, 
moves to live action in, in 102 Dalmatian, then it follows up with, with the original Enchanted. And more to the point, if you drill down into his actual work history before he began directing, he worked on the big three of the second golden age of Disney animation, uh, Little Mermaid, yep. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. So this guy knows Disney inside out. So you're doing a high-profile sequel for Disney Plus. Shouldn't there have been a conversation about, can we get Kevin? Yeah. No disrespect I mean, to Adam Shankman, guy who did, you know, a very enjoyable hairspray, I'm get a movie version of that. And he's he not only directed but also produced Disenchanted and they supposedly rap photography in Ireland back in August of last year. And he's the one who tweeted out that, you know, Disenchanted is coming in 2022. But it kills me that Kevin, who's done such great work for Disney, they aren't reaching out to him. But on the other hand, we do have the news that he's got a new film set up at Sony. No Flying in the House, is that the name? Yes. He's He's been doing a little tweeting about this. I, I guess it's a, a young reader book from 1970. The main character of the story is Annabelle Tippins, a six-year-old girl who discovers over the course of the story that she's half fairy. Evidently, over the course of this film, uh, she'll be forced to choose between becoming fully human or fully fairy. And unbeknownst to her, <laughs> this choice carries the fate of two worlds. So no pressure. This is like when I am th- wondering if I'm going to get Chipotle or <laughs> Paquito Mas for dinner. I know I'm going to be letting down somebody, you know. <laughs> It's a big decision. I, so I, I do, totally so yeah, well, that, that, That's it. Yeah. I'm going to the multiplex for that. It, ooh, two hours <laughs> of, of Drew pouring over menus. Okay, back to No Flying in the House. It was supposed to be live action, CG hybrid. By the way, it's going to be produced by Mr. Lima's equally talented wife, Brenda Chapman, who uh, you and I have talked about in, in her travails with, with Pixar and Brave. She's great. She's, she's such a wonderful person. If you ever get a chance to talk to her or she's speaking somewhere or something, she is awesome. And I think they announced that they had a, a production company or something a couple of years ago. I think we covered on the show. So I wonder if this is a part of that. Twas Entertainment, I think, is, is the yes. name of it. Which, again, great name. So that's pretty much the film side of the street for this week, folks. When Drew and I get back from this brief break, we'll then focus on the animation-related news that's coming out of television. We'll also talk about a, a most unusual auction. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So, Jim, I have to ask you, this this is going to air on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so everyone who is listening to the show will undoubtedly have seen there's a new trailer coming on Tuesday that I feel like I can talk about if it, this episode is coming out on Tuesday okay. of the Cuphead show. No! And I've seen this trailer, Jim, and oh my God. Talk about Mercury Filmworks mm-hmm. uh, killing the game. Oh my God. Pure Fleischer style rubber hose animation references wow. to the skeleton dance and Snow White. I mean... It looks unbelievable. 
given what they did with the game, you know, the original Cuphead game, which was spectacular, they did such an amazing take on that, as you mentioned, the Fleischer rubber hose thing. I was a little trepidatious when they announced they were going to go to series with this. It's like, that's just such such an impossibly high bar to meet show after show, week after week. But they did it? Yeah, it looks, it looks great. I haven't seen the sh- any episodes of the show yet, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, this is this is some really awesome stuff. And also, I want to say that there's an, a, a show coming on next week mm-hmm. called The After Party that Chris Miller uh, is producing. Mm-hmm. And it's got an amazing cast, and animation fans will want to check that out, too, because each, each episode is told in a different style. Hmm. And, Jim, there might be a, an animated episode in there somewhere, so I just want to give people a heads up okay. on that, well, too. Well, speaking of giving folks a heads up, like you said, the show goes live on Tuesday, January 18th, and just two days after that, on Thursday, January 20th, we get season four of Looney Tune Cartoons over at HBO Max, which the fact that they have done as well as I, I think they've done with the, the Looney Tunes cartoons, getting that sort of Bob Clampett feel for the show, uh, I still don't entirely get the whole... We got season one back in May of 2020. We're 51 episodes in at this point. And the most recent set, season three, dropped November 25th of last year. So it's just eight weeks. And now we're into season four. I mean, I- let me get my abacus out <laughs> and we can we can see how many of the 20,000 minutes of <laughs> there we go. There we go. Remember, what was that? A thousand that? minutes of, of and it was, but it was going to be shorts. It was going to be stuff for the web. It was going to be, you know, all of that. And I, again, I'm an old man. I, I remember terrestrial television when television used to start in September after Labor Day and, and the networks would actually give a show 13 weeks to try and find an audience. And then, only then, Pull the plug. And so the it was kind of ironic. This right now was the moment when the new, the replacement shows would start appearing in January. Yeah. Mid-season replacements. There we go. Where is, yeah. today the rules are so obviously different. I mean, for example, South Park, that that $900 million deal that Matt and Trey did with uh, Viacom CBS last August. So the show now effectively lives in two places, Right. Paramount Plus seems to have the South Park movies, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes for the, the South Park movies because the pandemic special was 48 minutes. The, the South Park vaccination special was 47. And post-COVID and then the post-quarantine or post-COVID, the return, one was 59, one was 62. Yeah, I mean, if you have to get into the weeds about this, it has something to do with the deal that was already struck with HBO Max. Really? for the shows to be on there, I think until 2023, which they're trying to expedite right now in much the same way Disney is trying to get out of their uh, Fox deal with HBO Max. So I did not part of the movie distinction, I think, has to do with this kind of crazy legal Okay. Well, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I have enjoyed South Park, bigger, longer, uncut, you know, back in, in June of 1999. I've also enjoyed... The multi-part episode shows, like, for example, Imagination Land. Speaking of which, because obviously in Imagination Land, we get Matt and Trey's version of the Dreamfinder. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
imagination, you know, singing the song. But <laughs> by the way, you had to had to be paying attention to yesterday the number of people who did the walk by of the line for the the figment popcorn buckets. I mean, it was so stupid. It's twenty five dollars to get this popcorn bucket, which would is filled with with rainbow colored popcorn, and it. Is that even really that good a likeness of, of figment? No, it's very cartoony. And it just kind of, it makes me mad because we're literally coming up, or we just passed the 20th anniversary of the really terrible version mm-hmm. of that ride. And, you know, I just don't, I don't like Disney kind of prophes- profiting off this character and this nostalgia mm-hmm. when they completely refuse to do anything noteworthy with that ride. And you know me, Jim, I'm a big original Epcot guy and I love Figment, but good Lord. Have I shared that slide with you, the timeline slide of what they were planning to do at Epcot? No, but I mean, at, when I was at Disney, I overheard mm. a lot about the the Inside Out yeah, yeah. redo. You know, because yeah. they were planning of spending just shy of $200 million dollars on redoing that pavilion. And that was, you know, I mean, it was like finish Guardians and then pivot to that. And now, mind you, I want to say that was prior to the play pavilion idea. So I don't know if the funding that was supposed to go for imagination. I I think the other thing, frankly, to be blunt about the imagination redo is they were looking for a sponsor. Disney didn't want to spend all of its own money and, I kept hearing Apple. I mean, I, I, you know, literally they were supposed to be having conversations. And Listen, if they can get Amazon to refurb a plane that has been rotting away <sighs> in the Florida sun, <sighs> they can convince somebody else to redo this. It's one of these things where it's like, really? That's what you're going to do? I get that Disney fans view that as something significant. This is the plane that Walt blew over the swamps of Florida and looked out at Raz Island and said, that's it. That's the land I want to buy. But beyond that, it's a it's a corporate plane, all right? So, you know, do we get to go inside and, boy, you can smell the smoke from when Walt, you know, <laughs> you know, you know it's two-pack-a-day habit in here. And, you know, and you can see the scotch stains on the, the, the upholstery. It's like, I, it's a plane. It's just a plane, folks. But the fact that, okay, let's spend our money retooling that and hauling it all the way out to California so we can park it outside of, are, are they parking it outside of the Anaheim Convention Center, or is it going to be? I think it's going to be inside <sighs> somewhere. Yeah. I, Listen, it's it was one of the two memorable things from the backlot tour, besides you know some costumes from Dick Tracy and the <laughs> Golden Girls House. So you know maybe people will <laughs> okay. take a shine to it. I, I I'm sorry. It's you know I, again again when I see six and seven hour long lines to get figment popcorn buckets and people get excited about retooling a corporate plane it's just sort of like okay all right pivoting back to south park that show's coming back to comedy central after the, the two movies ran on uh paramount plus they're talking about on uh, when the show comes back on february 2nd it'll be the 25th anniversary and they're doing something that night, there's going to be a three-hour block of South Park. The problem is at this point, no one's talking. So is it the six most significant South Park episodes to date? Or 
is this when these two post-COVID movies, you know, finally move from Paramount Plus over to Comedy Central? Because they mentioned that it's only the week after that that we start getting new weekly episodes. By the way, they also make a big deal that, you know, this is the first time we're getting brand new week weekly episodes since 2019. So since we're talking about uh, Paramount Plus, we should also mention that Big Nate, which is based on Lincoln Pierce's best-selling series of children books, not to mention the comic strip. First episodes of that show is going to debut on Paramount Plus on February 17th. And while we're, we're talking up truly great kid shows, you wanted to talk about Craig McCracken's Kid Cosmic, right? Yes, part three, the final part, mm -hmm. where our heroes are turned into sort of global superheroes on Earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, is coming on February 3rd. It's only six episodes long, uh, but this show, I feel like, is just so special. It's so well-designed. It's so well-animated, again, by Mercury Filmworks, mm -hmm. um, that uh, it's very much worth your time and very much worth, you know, kind of seeing through. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend you get in there okay. and, and watch that. And while we're, we're, we're talking up things, you've got to mark on your calendar here, or, you know, in fact, the television critics... Uh, association that, that they're doing their winter PR event this week. And the folks behind Proud Family Revival, uh, Louder and Prouder, where they're talking up the show, uh, which will debut on Disney Plus on February 23rd. And then, of course, I mean, I have to assume you already knew about this, but the Blu-ray of Adventure Time Distant Lands? I saw that. Yeah. All, all of the specials collected, which is very nice. Yeah, that um, all four of these shows that were created for HBO Max. Blu-ray is going to hit store shelves on, on March 8th. Hopefully this will hold folks till Cake and Fiona, the Adventure Time spinoff show. Do, do we? I know that got announced in October of last year. Do we have any info? About I haven't seen anything. I don't think there's even artwork or, or anything okay. uh, from that one yet. So that's the weird part when you work our side of the street and you, you drill down into press releases or somebody says something casual at a press conference and it's like, okay, what does that mean? Like, for example, the press materials that went out this week for uh, the Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild, which debuts on Disney Plus on, on January 28th. But did you see deep down in, in that stuff they mentioned that there is an actual Ice Age movie and... Yet another Rio film in the yes, works? Yes, I did see that. I think a lot of people saw that and were sort of up in arms. Uh, I mean, you and I uh, talked off air about, we spend an awful lot of time complaining about the fact that Blue Sky gets shut down, but it just, I, I have to say, based on the animation I've seen so far for Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild, I don't know if I want to see an Ice Age movie that's going to be done in that style, because... Well, you were just talking about the whole, you know, this is how we show a television show getting translated to theatrical release. The, the characters have shadows on them. This is like taking away any shadow or texture yeah. or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I will reserve judgment till I actually get to see Ice Age Adventures of Buckwild, which Simon Pegg is actually doing voice work for this thing, right? Or... He is my my buddy Simon Pegg is uh, is back as whatever I guess Buck Wild is that what that little rascal there we go weasel guy is there we go to be? so yeah 
might be worth setting up a phone call, you know. That's true. That's true. All right. I will always talk to Simon, no matter, you know, the project. So, (sighs) sure. Okay. (laughs) Let's see. What else this week? Oh, oh, oh. Did you see Abel Auctions earlier this week? Why didn't you tell me about this sooner, first of all, Jim? Because I'm looking at it right now, and I got to say, we are aesthetically compatible are here. you really? Really? Okay. I mean, listen, what did John Waters say about Kitsch? You know, the <laughs> hideously tragic, the tragically hideous. You know, it's like uh, some of the stuff I could I could see myself uh, acquiring. But well, that's... As, as with every auction, it went way over <sighs> what it should have been. But anyway, go ahead. Tell, tell people what this is. We're talking about the auction this week of the estate of Don and Barbara Rickles. We lost Don back in April of 2017, and Barbara, I want to say, passed away uh, just last year. And I was almost hesitant to bring it up with you, Drew, for for much the same reason that I, I kept doing sort of drive-bys. I didn't want to look because I knew I might, if I spent too much time, I might actually bid on some of this stuff. I mean, there were, there were items in there, for example, the 1995 Toy Story promotion box, which evidently they sent to Don because he did voice work on the film, but it, it literally had those Thinkway toys that disappeared like the weekend that the movie came out. Yeah, the 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 one hundred and fifty uh, toys that that they made initially that <laughs> yeah. just disappeared. Yeah, Don had had a set at the house. Likewise, there was a a proud to be vegetable poster from Mr. Potato from Toy Story One or the Toys Are Back in Town poster from Toy Story Two. There was the gift bag that if you went to the premiere of the Hollywood premiere of Toy Story Three, and but the thing that, that the stuff that got to me was like there was. Bob Pauly had drawn an original drawing of, of Mr. Potato that was framed and it sent to Don. And the, or there was this shadow box. It had been created by folks at Pixar after they'd gone to Las Vegas and seen Don perform on stage. And he'd arranged for them to have seats down front. So they, they made the shadow box of Mr. Potato Head on stage at a, a Vegas casino with a mic doing stand-up. And... You know, stuff like the Imagineers, when they were working on Toy Story Midway Mania, they created for Don because he he spent six days in the recording booth recording all of the dialogue for both versions of that attraction. It was like, here, this will keep you warm. And, and by the way, here's the, the, you know, the character dresses a Barker and there's your name. And and Don kept all of it. Did you see the pen that went that went with that one? Oh, it was so yeah. cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. But the folks at Pixar really, really loved Don. So they would do things like they'd send him books, even for Pixar movies that he wasn't doing voices on. Or stuff like that Buzz Lightyear Tiki mug. You know, one, again, a limited edition of only 500. <sighs> and, you know, well, we got to send one to Don. Did you see how much that one went for? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. It was originally what they thought maybe what five hundred to a thousand, and it went for like three thousand, four thousand, four thousand. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, quest for Camelot stuff on here too, Jim. The fact that the maquette of Davin, uh, Devon, uh, and Cornwall, the two-headed dragon that that Rickles and um, 
Eric Idle did in that movie. Like, it it kind of kills me that it only went for 150 bucks because it's like, I should have gone for that. I should have gone for that. Yeah. But there was also that great drawing that Adam Burke did. Yes. The fact that only a film nerd would really get off on, on the caption. It's it's Rickles in the booth basically saying that, you know, I'm only doing this stupid movie because Stanley Kramer didn't cast me in Mad Mad World back in 62. <laughs> but evidently, the, 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 the real trophy, the, the big get, uh, at least for animation fans, was did you see the, the 20th anniversary statue? Toy Story? Yes. Yeah. Which is usually, I think, I mean, what was that for? That must have just been people who had worked on Toy Story movies for 20 years. The story that I got told, because remember, the, the date on this thing is supposedly 2015, and we lost Dawn in April of 2017 to kidney disease. And... There was this sort of feeling that we weren't going to have Don for much longer, and John Lasseter wanted to do something to acknowledge. So they kind of invented an award, you know, for the, the 20th, right. you know, and got it out to certain people. And, and Don evidently very proudly displayed it at the, at the house for the, the last two years of his life. But it's got this interesting inscription on it, something to the effect of, you know, acknowledging the 20th anniversary and thank you for helping change the world. That kind of has a double meaning because right. when the initial Toy Story came out in, in November of 1995, no one had ever done a feature length computer animated film at that point. And Toy Story proved that CG like this could really connect with an audience. But it also, you know, for Don, it had a different meaning because face it, when Lassiter goes to Don Rickles and, it, you know, tries to get him to do Mr. Potato Head, Don's been in show business for 35 years at that point. He started in casinos back in the late 50s. In fact, there's that great story about when Frank Sinatra first went to go see him. Rickles find out he's in the audience. And you got to remember, this is Frank Sinatra during his Ava Gardner years, so he's kind of famous for punching people. It's like, Frank, hey, you're here. Make yourself at home. Hit somebody. But th that was when he became the Merchant of Venom, the number one insult comic in the country. And, you know, the Rat Pack, you know, embraced him. And we jump ahead to the, the, the early 90s and 35 years on the job. And he's, he's 68 at this point and just kind of facing reality that it's kind of toward the end. But Lasseter goes to him and pitches the idea that you should be the voice of Mr. Potato Head because Mr. Potato Head's parts are always falling off of him. So he's going to be an irritable guy and you're an irritable guy. So would you do this? And, and, and there's also, I mean, you can literally go online and, and search this out, but there is a, a an interview that Don does in 1995 for the first wave of press for the first Toy Story. And there's this wonderful moment where it's like, you know, Don basically says, well, look, it's Disney. They don't pay a lot of money. And in fact, he does it. He then does this great bit where he's pretending he's Michael Eisner and putting his arms up and scooping up this giant pile of money. <laughs> this is mine. You can't have it. But Don then goes on, but it's a start. It could be something, you know, we'll see. And it was, you know, if you think about what the next 25 years was for Don Rickles, that he suddenly became 
had this entirely different audience. I mean, mind you, they were all, you know, what, five-year-olds? And in fact, Don's grandson, Ethan, was born in August of 1995, just three months before the original Toy Story came out. And so for all of Ethan's life, he knew his grandfather as the voice of Mr. Potato Head, the voice behind that plush doll that you took home and took to bed with you. The insult comic, the guy who played in Vegas was like, yeah, he, he did that a long time ago, but this, this is who my grandfather is. And, and Don just loved to get this second career to get, you know, so the, the whole notion of this statue having the changing the world, I mean, Mr. Potato Head literally did change Don's world. But speaking of which, though, the, the circle back to, again, it was originally listed for, what, two to $300? That's what they thought it might go in the auction. What did it actually go for, Drew? Uh, the award went for a cool uh, $3,750. <sighs> So somebody really wanted that. I guess a, I guess a bunch of people really wanted yeah, it. Yeah, um, but when you think about the tiki mug, still went for yeah. higher, you know, 4,000. Yeah. Tiki collectors are crazy. But again, when you look at the prices these things went for, everything went for multiple multiples of, of what it was originally listed for. But that's a long... Except there's a great coffee table that only went for $275. Yeah. Really loved, but, mm. you know, some, somebody, I'm not going to say who on this call... Mm-hmm. Did not alert someone else uh, I, I, about this. I, again, if I had, Katie and I would be having a conversation now. That's <laughs> true. You know, That's true. <laughs> that's, I, I think the, the phrase enabler would have come up. Yes. So, yes. I'm doing you a favor, pal. <laughs> These things went to the prices they did because people loved Toy Story almost as much as they loved Don Rickleson. I, I miss the yes. guy. He was Hollywood history with feet. and. Speaking of Hollywood history, if you are not listening to Drew's Light Diffuse podcast, folks, you're missing out on some truly amazing stories. So what are you and Charles talking about this week? We are talking to Anthony Giacchino this week, who is obviously um, Uh, Michael's brother and did the great uh, documentary on Iron Giant. Mm -hmm. So if you're a fan of his, the one that's airing this week, I think, is when we get into the Iron Giant stuff. Um, So it's pretty great. just how that all came together. And I believe Teddy Newton was the one that did the illustrations for that documentary. And we talked to him a few weeks ago, which was great. Uh, have you seen, Jim, those little uh, Pixar short toys that Funko has put out? No. They I, have see, both of no, the figures is, from Night and Day. This yeah. is mean because, again, I didn't tell you about the Don Rickles auction, so you wouldn't spend money. And now I, I know, I now know. Now I got to go buy Funko crud. I know. Well, I mean, they. What's what was great? I I walked into a, mm. some store that was having a like two for one sale. Mm. But what's nice too is they're not mystery. You actually know what you're getting um, going into it. But we're talking about night and day. We're talking about the little bird for for the birds. Two different versions of the bow guy. Kitbull Jim uh, is even represented. Wow. So check these out. They're like you know five bucks. You can find them at Target and they're really, really cool. I mean, <sighs> you never see a toy for night and day, so yeah, yeah. I would, you know, pick it up. Okay. But, um, yes. Literally finish yeah. the shopping and apologies. Yeah. <laughs> I got to go at the car keys and go check out some Funko Pixar. They're shit. little, they're little gems. Little. So look in the, where they have like a little tray of them. <sighs> yeah. But they are, they're way better than that, that 
segment popcorn bucket. So, yeah. Okay. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back next week.